0: Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Father, I am so excited that uh, you would uh, awaken us into a new year. I am so excited, God, that that you would ready our hearts for a word that, um, that would, would, would point us in your direction, God, that that your spirit might bring uh, conviction, that, that God, we might feel the compulsion of, of your drawing us in your direction. Oh, Lord God, speak to us today as we enter into this new sermon series. Give us a real opportunity to dwell with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, so here we go. For the next couple of months, I said it right, you heard it right, next couple of months we're going to be in the book of John. And so get familiar with the Gospel of John. Read it a bunch of times. Go ahead and find it in your Bible right now. We're going to be in John chapter 1 today. And basically we're going to work through uh, a passage each, each week for the next couple of months to get us all the way through the Gospel of John. I'm really, really thankful for the chance to, uh, to sit in this word together. And I believe that there is uh, there's a lot of, of uh, uh, there's a the- theological richness to the gospel of John. The gospel of John is different than any of the other gospels. And so if you're familiar with uh, New Testament writings, you're familiar with the gospels, you would understand, you would say, yeah, I get it. The gospel just has a real different feel to it. Some of the other gospels are just like, you know, kind of like a a fact story, uh, not, not a narrative so much, but more of just like, here are facts that you need to know. But the gospel of John is like, conversational it's like a it's as if you were sitting you went out with one of your good friends and you were just sitting there having a having a uh, you know a root beer and cheese fries together maybe that's not what you do but that's what I would do you were having a root anybody have root beer and cheese fries anybody anybody yes thank you we can hang we can hang yes the rest of you, you can sponsor. It's okay. And so um, root beer and cheese fries together, you were hanging out, and, and while you were out having your root beer and cheese fries, you were just having a conversation, and somebody was just kind of recording the conversation, and that's, that's kind of how the gospel of John feels, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a really neat feel to it. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to it in just a second, but before I do that, let me, let me set you up this way. Uh, imagine, imagine you're with your best friend right now. Maybe you are with your best friend right now. That's really cool. And uh, maybe you're with your best friends. That's really cool. Some people are in that situation right now. Maybe you're here with your best friend, or your best friends, you're hanging out. But imagine you're with your best friends, and, and, uh, and just imagine you were going to start a conversation. You were just talking a little bit, and whatever you're talking about, maybe you're talking about last night's game, and you were excited, you know, like, yeah, maybe you were disappointed. You know, there were at least two people in the church that were excited, and a bunch of people in the church that were disappointed. And, and uh, may, maybe you're talking like, you know, like, you know, just kind of retelling stories Um, But if you're talking with your best friend, hanging out, you you, you trust your best friend, don't you? Come on now. Come on. This is the time of your feedback. You trust your best friend, right? If not, some of y'all need new best friends. All right? Like, if you don't trust your best friend, we just need to talk. Introduce you to new best friends, okay? Like, you trust your best friend. Like, you, you, you seek counsel from them. You seek advice from them. You want to tell them the deepest parts of your life because you think they've got some great wisdom to offer you in those moments. I mean, you really, you, you sincerely believe what your best friend is going to tell you. Well, John, as he writes in his gospel, uh, he, he calls himself the beloved or the one who was loved by Jesus. He, he, he identifies Jesus to be his best friend. So let me give you a little background. Not only does he identify Jesus to be his best friend, he is the last of the remaining di- of, of the original disciples. He is the end. He is the, the highest authority, if you will, because the others have died. And so Jesus is the remaining I mean, John is the remaining voice who is able to say, my best friend said this, or my best friend did this. And you can think about it. I haven't seen my best friend in probably about four, well, I see my best friend every day, (laughs) and she is lovely. But my childhood best friend, I have not seen him probably in about four years, and, and, and we probably only see each other maybe once every four or five years. But whenever we do, we immediately pick up and we tell stories and we're playing off each other and we're laughing and we're joking and we're reminiscing. And, and I can imagine someday, Lord willing, a long time from now, either he or I are going to tell stories about the other one. when one of us has gone on to be with Jesus, and we're going to be able to say, "My." And friend, da, da, da. and we're going to be so filled with energy and excitement and emotion around telling these stories about our best friend. Am I alone in this? Come on, you're, you're like that, right? You know, you, you're, you're, th- you're sitting there running through your mind right now. You're chuckling inside. You're like, if he only knew what me and my best friend did. I'm glad nobody heard, you know, or whatever the story was, right? Like, you immediately just fill up with these, these, these stories and, and these memories and these thoughts. And that's the gospel of John. See, John is, he's talking to an audience that, that he is literally trying to encourage. And, and the, the audience, the, the people who John first, thought, first talked to would have been um, Jewish Christians, right? They would have been Jewish by birth who began to believe in Jesus, and now they're bumping up. They're having a problem because they're bumping up against the, 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 the spiritual leaders of the Jewish community. They're saying, you're not doing it the way we used to. But, and then these guys are like, but we just believe in Jesus now. And, but Jesus, is, he was cool, but he wasn't the one you're supposed to believe in. And they're going back and forth, and they're kind of having this moment. So John steps in, and John says, let me just encourage you. And he could have said anything he wanted after that. But he says, my best friend, let me tell you about my best friend. Let me tell you why you should believe in my best friend. Let me tell you why you can place your hope in my best friend. Let me tell you why my best friend is worth following. I hope there comes a day that uh, every one of us has a chance to tell somebody about our best friend, and I hope we tell it with the conviction that John speaks to about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me stop for a minute, just for one second. In the beginning, lot to unpack with that, but check this out. Let me help us understand what that means. Before it all started, before anything else, before the thought of something being before, you getting your mind around this? In the beginning, it doesn't matter how you look at it after that. It doesn't matter if two rocks hit together in the sky, before there were rocks and before there was sky. It doesn't matter if, G- if God himself pointed his finger and said, now that's how it's going to happen. Before he pointed his finger and said, now it's going to happen. Before anything else, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. But see, you and I are listening to this and you're listening to me preach that and you're like, okay I get it, I get it, I get it. But you don't get it the way they would have got it in that moment. I'll help you I'll help translate it in the modern day language In West Philadelphia born and raised <laughs> Come on Alright, time out. Are some of y'all not from Philly? <laughs> this half of the room has no idea what I'm talking about <laughs> Either that or they're a little bit too conservative about it. Okay, all right, let's try it again. As soon as you hear these words, I know what happens, see? I know what happens internally, even if you don't want to let it happen. If you're too dignified, it's all right, but it's still going to happen inside. In West Philadelphia. All right, that's good. That's good. Look, look, look. First of all, uh, let's stop, stop, look, look, before we do anything else, let's celebrate this corner right here, this corner right here. They get the award right there, they got it right from the beginning, but check this out, there are some songs, and there are some themes, and there are some words that we hear that just immediately trigger a memory, a thought. We can immediately fill in the blank, boom, 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 right? And so when you hear in West Philadelphia, it doesn't matter. I I promise you, if it didn't happen already, it'll happen from now on. As soon as you hear it, you immediately, you're thinking of Will Smith, you're thinking of the TV show, you immediately begin to sing the song, even though you don't know it, you kind of make up words to go along with it. You know, like, you're just it just takes you right there. Well, check this out. If you were original, if you're original audience, if you're, If you're a practicing Jew, and you hear John stand up and say, in the beginning, you know what you begin to think? Genesis chapter 1. You just immediately go to Genesis chapter 1, because these words would have been built into you. They would have been ingrained into your mind. You would have memorized this part of the Torah. Like, it would have been language that you knew start to finish. So you're like, as soon as you say you're like, yes, ah, this is going to be good. In the beginning, and you settle back, you breathe a little easier, and then John says, was the word. And that shakes your mind up a little bit. See, in the beginning was the word, the word logos or logos, the word, the Word. Uh, you know, it, the, the language around that has everything to do with the word wisdom. In the beginning was, was wisdom. Well, culture and day, they pursued wisdom. They had a pursuit, a longing for, a yearning. It was, like, it was like the God that they could never catch. You know, it was like they were always running after. So in the beginning, there was wisdom. Yeah. But John, he's unpacking a deeper meaning to this. And he says, it wasn't just wisdom like we would chase after. See, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And as soon as John says this, he leads off his story about his best friend by saying, my best friend was there from the very start. Before anything else, he was. And not only was he there, he was hanging out with God. And not only was he hanging out with God, my best friend, think about the audience, folks. Folks. There's a group of people who had gathered together and said, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. We are faithfully waiting for a Messiah, but we reject Jesus as the Messiah. We don't think he is it. And John is writing a letter to, to the people who said, I do believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he, st- he speaks this letter to everybody. Beginning, Jesus, my best friend. He was with God. He was hanging out. But he wasn't just hanging out with God. My best friend was and to the people in the room who believed in Jesus yeah they cheered with emotion they were so excited he gets it Jesus we believed. we knew it was him the whole time but to the people who had rejected Jesus the claim that Jesus was God meant that I crucified the Messiah it meant that I said kill him even though he was the one who came to save me. It meant that I need to reject it again, otherwise I'm damning myself for not believing. You follow this? John's statement, leading statement, is such a powerful hit. It's like a first-round knockout. He says that if you get if you forget everything else, understand this, Jesus himself was God. Probably one of the most highly, uh, um, not even just re- debated, but high, one of the most highly, uh, uh, yeah, forget it, hard things for people to hear. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. I'm in verse three. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Who do we understand to be the one who created everything? Come on, come on, think about it with me. Who do we understand to be the one who created everything? We said it was God and it was God in three persons, right? God the Father or God the Well, yeah, but God the Father is also God the Creator, right? We think God when we think of people who created, we say, Oh yeah, God father he created all these things and then we think of jesus the son and we say he was the savior he was the messiah well john is jumping up and down in the background he's saying you're missing it you're missing it you're missing it he was more than just a guy who went to a cross he was more than just the messiah he was indeed fully god he was the one who created it from the very beginning jesus talked to himself in heaven and said hey god what do you think about this and god and jesus the same in one conversation to say yeah Let's go. You see, we attribute everything about this to Jesus, and we contribute everything about everything else to God the Father. And John says, you only knew part of my best friend. You see, my best friend, not only did he save us, but he also was a part of the creation of us. He understood the dualism and actually the triism of who Jesus was in ways that no one else got in ways that the, the, the modern audience didn't understand, in ways that you and I today may, may, may actually have divided up. It's not to say that God the Father didn't create. He did. But it's to say that he didn't do it alone. Jesus was a part of it. You see, God the Father didn't create. And then look at his creation and say, it's so messed up. I've got to do something else. Here, I'll give them Jesus. See, Jesus was in it from the beginning. Jesus wasn't ordered to go down to die on a cross because we were so messed up. Before the creation, Jesus knew that part of being, part of creating, meant that he himself would have to come to sacrifice for us. I hope you're getting a little bit excited with me on this. In verse 4, in him, in Jesus was, come on, read it with me, in Jesus was, Life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The life was the light to the world. The life was the light to the world. Understand this. Jesus came that he was the light to the world. Jesus himself was the light. He didn't look at you and look at me and say, you got to be the light. Jesus came that he was the light. You and I then have the ability to be the light. Why and how? Because Jesus lives in us. Absent of Jesus present in you, you have no light to shine. Oh, let me say it again, because I don't know if you got that one. This is worth an amen. Absent of Jesus being present in you, you have no light to shine. Jesus is the light that fills your life, that bursts out of your chest. You are the Clark Kent that rips your shirt open. You see the big S? The Superman tattoo right there, right? Like the big emblem, right, that you reveal? Well, that emblem that you're revealing is Jesus. Don't bother ripping it open if you ain't got Jesus. There's nothing there for us all to see. But Jesus came. He he would be the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Get this. Don't read it like you're sitting here today. Read it like, read it like you had just convicted Jesus to the cross. And John says, Jesus came as the light, and the light overcomes the darkness. You rejected him. We represent the darkness, the absence of Jesus with us. And he says, the darkness does not overcome the light. You might have thought you won because Jesus died. But we now know 2,000 years later that the story wasn't over, amen? Amen. Come on, the story wasn't over, otherwise we're wasting our morning. You see, the story wasn't over. Jesus went to a cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. He got put in a tomb, but he didn't stay in a tomb. He resurrected from there, but he didn't stay where he went or stay where he descended to. You see, Jesus came back. Jesus promised one other thing. He said, I'll come back again. He promised that the story is not over. He promised that he would overcome. Mm. So there it is. There's the introduction from, from John. He says, let me tell you a little bit about my best friend. And my best friend is different than anybody else understood him to be. Anybody else, anybody's best friend pretty, pretty messed up? Anybody got a best friend who's a little bit twisted? A little bit misunderstood by the world? You know, come on, come on, be honest, right, right, right? Your best friend do some things, you're like, I don't know about that, you know? Like, yeah. If it's your spouse, don't put your hand up. <laughs> and then you got to go see Pastor Crawford for counseling, you know? Like, don't do that. Don't put nobody on blast in the sanctuary. But look, 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 we all got a best friend. We got, we got stories to tell about our best friend that we're so excited to tell, but... You know, like sometimes when you tell the stories, people just, they weren't there. They don't understand it. They don't really get the richness of that story. They're like, I don't get it, I don't get it. But understand this. If you were a first person hearing this at that time, here's what you feel. Questioning. Did we make the right decision? Does John know something about Jesus that we didn't know? I wonder. I wonder if it's worth rethinking. How can I backpedal out of this? If we went wrong, how do we make it right? I don't know if we can overcome this. So then John moves on. He says, there was a man who was sent from God whose name was also John. And by the way, John is going to begin to talk about a different John, not himself. right? He's going to talk about John the Baptist. right? We know John the Baptist being the cousin of Jesus. He was a man... Who was sent from God, whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light that we were just talking about. So that through him, through John, all might believe. Believe in who? Believe in Jesus. So John came that he might reveal or prepare the way for others to hear about Jesus, that through John's message about Jesus, people might begin to believe. They might be ready to believe, be ready for the word, be ready to receive. But he himself, he was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John came with a purpose to bear the light, to give witness to the light, to give to give revelation to the light, to get everybody ready for the light. Some of y'all remember uh, our good friend Sly, who uh, who used to be the children's pastor here. He's out in in, in Pittsburgh now. I was uh, I was on the phone with him about two weeks ago, and uh, he said he said Pastor Ray, he's like, guess what I get to do this season? You got, for those who don't remember Sly, really fit guy, and. You know, just kind of just did all things fitness. And, uh, and he was a great athlete, but there were a couple things he wasn't as gifted in. And one of those things that he wasn't as gifted in, I mean, probably the only one thing I can, that I know of, actually. One of the things he wasn't as gifted in was basketball, right? He looked like just a natural basketball player until you started playing basketball. And then you're like, okay, you are a really good athlete. And that makes up for, it still makes you a much better basketball player than me, but not as natural as I would have thought. So he, when he called me, he was talking to me on the phone. He said, he said, oh, Pastor Ray, guess what I get to do? I said, what do you get to do? He said, I'm going to be working with the varsity basketball team. What? <laughs> I've seen your jump shot. <laughs> I said, well, Sly, what are you going to do with them? And he said, well, he said, I'm kind of working with the varsity team. I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I asked the coach. Could I come and could I condition them before the season starts? And I, just like you just did, Ed, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. You see, Sly's job was to get them ready for what they were going to do, right? Sly's job, he wasn't going to teach them anything about a jump shot, like a left-handed layup, or a low post position. He wasn't going to teach them any of those kinds of things. He was going to get them in in shape right? And that was what John was doing. John the Baptist was coming. He was coming to get them ready, mentally ready. There's a Jesus who's coming. And he has a message for you. And that message is salvation. And it is redemptive. And if you will listen, it will change forever, I promise. John's job was to get them ready. But see, a lot of people had heard about John the Baptist, and they began to believe what John the Baptist was saying, and he got so much attention that actually people began to follow John the Baptist as if he were the Messiah himself. And so the confusion came when Jesus showed up, and John the Baptist was there, and the people who were following John the Baptist were like, well, wait a minute. We've been following you, John. Who's who's this Jesus guy? And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm the conditioning coach. I'm not the head coach right? I'm just getting you ready. But somebody else is going to finish the job. And, uh, and so John, the apostle, gives witness to the, re- the reality of John the Baptist and the work that John the Baptist did. He doesn't deny what John the Baptist did. He actually, he actually exemplifies. He said, John was doing great things, but he was only a witness to. He wasn't the light. Nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is good news. 10, he was in the world. And through the world that was, that made, uh, excuse me, and through the world was made, and though, sorry, and though the world, thank you, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. There's a story about a, a pastor down in South Jersey who was uh, really committed to uh, ministry to the homeless. And so um, he wanted to help his church gain a, 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 a longing, a, a sense of conviction for ministry to the, uh, to, to the homeless. And so he, on a Sunday morning, um, about two hours before church, he, he did a full makeover. He did a full makeover. He, he made himself old. And uh, he made his hair long and, and dirty, and uh, he, he put on some really raggedy clothes, and he went and he laid on the front steps of the church, all the way up until service started. And, uh, and he watched people from his church walking around him to get into the sanctuary. And he noted that, you know, the, the, the faithful congregation had showed up for church, and they were excited for worship. And uh, everybody's looking around, and where's pastor? Where's pastor? Church is going to start. And the worship pastor got up and started playing. And in the back of his mind, was praying that the pastor showed up so he didn't have to preach. And everybody's waiting. Offering comes. Offering goes. Nobody has seen pastor. Everybody is whispering about it. Where's pastor? Where's pastor? And then the back door of the sanctuary opened. And in walks the homeless man who walks all the way up to the front and takes the microphone and begins to talk. And somehow he sounds a lot like pastor. And over the course of the next 30 minutes, he begins begins to teach and lead his congregation to understand that he was with them, but they didn't recognize him. And you think to yourself, well, how did they not get it? I mean, how good could the disguise be? I don't know. But there was a whole lot of people who were waiting for the Messiah, who were devout believers, probably as devout as you and I are, and maybe even more. And Jesus was in their presence, and they didn't get it. They weren't sure that that was him, and they rejected him even though he was the one who created from the beginning, they still didn't get it. 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to the Jews, and the Jews rejected him. Crazy of those Jewish people, isn't it? How dare those Jewish people reject the Messiah? When I think about it, I just, man, I want to shake my fist at the heavens until I think about the last time I rejected him. No, I mean, I never, I mean, at least not for the last 20 years, I haven't said Jesus isn't real. I haven't said, Jesus, you know, you're not really the Messiah. You know, like, I mean, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I've been pretty committed to the fact that Jesus was the only one who could save me. I just haven't been committed to living that way, amen? amen. Come on, let's be honest. Come on, there's people here looking at you and me thinking we got it all together. Let's be honest, right, right, right? We're, we're committed to the idea that Jesus can save me, and I'm more committed to it because I know I need saving. Amen? amen. Dang it. Okay, say it about yourself, not about me. Okay, that's good. I mean, look, the reality is this, right? Like, rejecting Jesus is not that foreign of a thought. It's foreign for us to think about saying Jesus isn't the Messiah, but it's not foreign for us to think about, I don't really want to live what this thing says. Come on now, come on now. Let me preach to you for a minute, right? It's not foreign to think, you know, I'm not really going to live up to this standard. Yeah, that's a little bit too crazy. So I can reject that a little bit, or I can reject parts of that a little bit, or I can reject the pages that don't have red letters on it at least, right? Like, uh, you know, there's somehow, some way, I can push push against it a little bit. Well, I mean, that's no different than what the Jewish people were doing. They, they they just looked at Jesus and said, "You know, you're not what I thought you would be. You know, I thought you would be better, stronger, bigger, faster, slimmer." Longer hair like whoever. And so I just pushed back against a little bit. Bet you've done that once or twice too. Yet here's where the news gets good. John says to everyone, to all who did receive him. To everyone who received him. To those who This is John's language, those who believed in his name. See, John ties together this idea of receiving Jesus and believing in his name, receiving him physically, physically like adopting him in, saying yes to giving him space, and believing, trusting, intentionally moving toward to those who did that. Jesus gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, born of the will of God, born of the ways of God, born unto God, born for God, committed to God's purpose. See, Jesus adopts us, grafts us into what is already his. He gives us everything that belongs to him if we'll believe on his name. It's no longer exclusive just for the Jew. It's no longer exclusive for one people group. It's no longer exclusive for those who saw it with their own eyes. It is extended to everyone who would receive who Jesus is. Let me say it like this. It's not not only true for our church. It's true for the Methodist church over there. It's true for the Episcopalian church over here. It's true for the Catholic church over there. It's true for the non-denom church down there. It's true for the Baptist church right back here. It's, It's true for everyone who would say yes to who Jesus is. Understanding that Jesus is the only way that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. That Jesus is the one from the beginning who came. That Jesus was John's best friend. And John is jumping up and down and saying, if you got this, you got it. Any Wheel of Fortune fans? Anybody a fan? Oh, thank you. I love you. Yes, the three of you. Four of you. Us Wheel of Fortune fan? You know, if you raise your hand, I say I love you. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple more. Yeah, yeah. All right, so look, check it out. My, I love Wheel of Fortune. I, and, and there's two times that I love the most. We, we, we love Wheel of Fortune. We, we, we love watching it. Um, before we had kids, it was like our, our date night every night, you know, like Pat Sajak, Vanna White, Ray, and Michelle, just boom, right there, right? And, uh, and, but, but, but now we have kids. The kids get into it, too. But uh, we're watching Wheel of Fortune, and there's two times that I love, right? I love, I love the prize puzzle, right? Because you always get a trip. You're going somewhere. You know, and you're just like, yeah. And usually, if you win the prize puzzle, you win the show, right? It usually goes together because it's worth so much. So I love that. And I always dream like, oh, I'm going to go. Well, last night on Wheel of Fortune, there was a lady who won no, $48,000 in the regular show before the final, right? Like I was like, wow, it's great. She won everything. It was just, boom, she was fantastic at the show. So, I love that part of the show. The other part, they didn't always do this, but the last couple of years they've been doing this. You uh, go to a commercial, they do a, a, a flashback to like Wheel of Fortune from the 80s. It's almost in black and white, it's granular, you know? And uh, you're watching it and you're like, and they show you the, the final puzzle and the, the letters are up and they're like, can you guess what this is? We'll tell you right after the commercial. And I love it because what happens is, I don't know these answers. But I look at it, I'm like, oh, I could try to figure it out. And if I ever figure it out, and I'm alone, I do it. Ex- I actually do this. And if I'm not alone, I just do it inside. But uh, but I actually begin to jump up and down when I get it right. Like I'm just like, yes, you know, like you know how they do when they win the puzzle, they jump up and down. But in the 80s, when they did it, they were just like, yeah, you know, like as if nobody was watching. It's the cool thing. So inside, like a kid, that's what I do. I'm like, I get it. All right. Well, I'm telling you that to tell you this. I'm telling you that to tell you this. See, some of you, you have something to jump up and down about. Some of us have something to jump up and down about. We've gotten it. Jesus isn't a concept. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a fairy tale. He's not just the guy who gets me out of hell. He's everything to me. And I get it. I understand who he is. I understand how important he is. I understand how much he loves me. I get it. My heart moves toward him. I get it. His heart moves toward me. And we get it. And it's like when that revelation hits you inside, you're just like, you're young again. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're beaming with energy and excitement. You're like, yes. And you wish you could be undignified about it and just scream. Some of us, we're close. We've been present. But we don't really get it. And the fact that we're there doesn't mean we got it. The fact that we show up doesn't mean we got it. And this isn't in a shot at anybody. You see, it's way too important for me to point a finger at you about it. What I want to say to you is this. If Jesus doesn't make you jump up and down inside, there's something about Jesus you don't yet understand. You see, if the reality and the promise of who God is and how much he loves you doesn't turn your insides outside, there's something about it you don't get. You see, the Jesus I know, he looks past all the mess that we've been in. He looks past the way that I dressed up or didn't dress up. He looks past the fact that they're not tucked or they are tucked. He looks past all those things did, Jesus that I know looks deep into your heart and says, I love you. I pursue you. I long for you. I want you. I died for you. I'm coming for you. I promise I won't leave you again. I promise that I'll come back for you. I promise that forever is yours, and I can promise you that because before promises were ever made, I existed. Before anybody thought of it, I was there. Before my father said, go, I was already on the way. You see, I was from the beginning, and I'll be there till the end. See, the promises of Jesus, when we really understand who he is and how much he cares, we can't help but rip it open. We can't help but burst out. We can't help but jump up and down and say, I've got a best friend that you need to know about. You just need to know about him. Oh, oh. There was a, uh, there's a boxer from the 80s, uh, from the 90s, excuse me, and uh, he, he's from Delaware. His name was uh, Tommy Morrison. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. If you haven't heard of him, you can Google him. Um, his claim to fame now is probably that he was in Rocky four. Four. Five? Who's my Rocky fans? Tommy Gunn? Tommy Gunn, Rocky four. I think Rocky four. Thank you, a couple of them. Well, he was in one. who five? You think five? He was in four or five. Anyway, he, he was in it. And he, he, was, he was a legit boxer, uh, grew, up, grew up in Delaware, and uh, he, he was on a trajectory to become the world's greatest boxer. At the same time as his trajectory was going off, there was this other guy you might have heard of named Mike Tyson, and, uh, and his trajectory was on the same path, right? And at some point, Mike Tyson and Tommy Gunn were going to fight. They were going to fight because these were the two greatest of their era, right? Um, and and, and to help us all, and we can speak freely about this, this was during a time in which racial tensions were still pretty high in our country, right? Mike Tyson, about this tall, ra- like rapid, super fast, crazy quick, black guy. Tommy Gunn, a little bit taller, a little bit wider, white guy. Slow and sluggish, but knock people out on the first hit. Like crazy. And these two mega forces were meant to, to have a fight. If you don't follow boxing, you don't really understand this, but just go along for the story anyway. So they were both kind of reaching the end of their prime. And, uh, and the promoter who represented boxing said, I'm going to set up one mega fight between these two guys. And so here's the deal Mike Tyson was the champion of the world. And he goes, to, he goes to Tommy Morrison, and he says, Tommy Morrison, I want to give you the chance of a lifetime, you can fight against Mike Tyson. I'm going to give you two warm-up fights against these other guys, not nearly as important. But this way, people hear, more people hear about who you are. And then the big fight, $10 million just for fighting, you don't even have to win, $10 million, but you have to promise to retire after that fight. Tommy Morrison says, absolutely. Signs off on it, I'm going to go fight this last fight, I'm going to fight these three last fights. Just days before his first of his last three fights, just days before his first of his last three fights, Tommy Morrison, it becomes public that Tommy Morrison um, has HIV. And so the Nevada Boxing Commission says you cannot box because you have HIV. Tommy Morrison is devastated. He's devastated. And his phone rings. This is the mid-'90s at this point. His phone rings. Who do you think is on the phone to call him? Is it? Not Mike Tyson. Mm-mm. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson calls him. Magic Johnson, for those who don't know, one of the best basketball players to ever play, retired from the NBA because he was found to have AIDS. HIV. Found to have HIV. And, uh, and he became kind of the public spokesman for HIV AIDS. Magic Johnson still lives to this day. Uh, is partial owner of the Lakers and all kind of crazy things and doing great things. Maddie Johnson calls him up and he says, Tommy, I know you think life is over, but I can tell you this. It's not. You see, I've got a friend. And he wasn't telling him about Jesus. He says, i got a friend. And if you'll just listen to my friend and you'll do what my friend says, your life can go on for a long, long time. And this was in a time in which people thought as soon as you contracted HIV that you were going to die right? It was in a time in which there was no answer, there was no medication, there was only things that were like being talked about in little back rooms that people were doing to try to fight against HIV and AIDS. Well, well, Magic Johnson calls up Tommy, says, Tommy, I got a friend, and if you'll listen to him, he'll take care of you. You can go on for a long time. Tommy, you imagine what Tommy did. <laughs> Forget dad, I don't want to... <laughs> No, just leave me over here. No, of course, Tommy ran. He ran, probably ran from Delaware to L.A. where Magic Johnson was and said, tell me what I got to do. I'll do anything if you would just extend my days. Give me new life. Give me hope again. And so he begins to listen to the doctors who were treating Magic Johnson. The best from all over the world had flown in to, to be personal care for Magic Johnson at that time. And Magic Johnson says, I'll extend my entire doctor team to you. Well, Tommy Morrison starts getting treated under these doctors, and and all the way through, just day after day, medicine after medicine, week after week, month after month, this is in the mid-90s, all the way through the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, 2005, listening, doing everything he says, body is chiseled and life is long. And then one day he woke up and said, you know what, I don't actually think that I ever was sick so I'm not going to listen to you anymore. So he dismissed the doctors, dismissed the medication, and within four years, he died. Friends, I want to tell you, I got a friend. I got a best friend. And man, he's got the answers to life. And he holds all of the hope. And if you will surrender with me to him, he will extend your days in ways you could never imagine. But he won't force you, and nor will I. So if you want to listen for a while and then choose to say no, that's your option. But I can tell you the effectiveness of my best friend, it comes when you fully surrender. It comes when you say, I'm all in. 14, Jesus, the word, became flesh. Flesh. And made his dwelling among us. I want to teach you a word with me real quick. The word dwelling, this is where we're going to wrap up for today. The word dwelling, the word dwelling in, uh, in John's is in, in John's letter here is, uh, is Emmanuel. Same meaning for Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's also Old Testament, same meaning for the word tabernacle, God present with us, Right? So, John, if you were reading, really reading the Greek and you're trying to, trying to translate, you might say this, say, uh, in, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. He hung out with us. He was more than present. He was more than amongst us. He was in it with us. The Greek word for that is eskonathem, nothin, Escanothen, nothin, which means to tabernacle, to Emmanuel, to hang out, to dwell with. John says, my best friend, he left heaven to come be with us. I have a hard time leaving my couch to go be with people sometimes. You know, like, I'm in the middle of something good. I'm like, that's a really inopportune time to call. You know what I mean? Like, can I get back to you on that? No, you need it now. Okay. But God left heaven, the beauty and the perfection of it, the simplicity and yet the completeness of it. And he said, I'm going to go dwell with them. I'm going to go be with them. And hopefully, as we, uh, as we continue through this study, hopefully you and I get a little bit more of a taste of what it means for Jesus to, to dwell with us, to be with us, to eskenothen, to, to, to tabernacle with us. And how fitting it is that as we start this study on the Gospel of John, that we're invited to dwell with Jesus at the table. We're invited to understand that Jesus is present with us. Church, I get it. It's hard to figure out sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's as present as we might like because we find ourselves in the mess. And sometimes it doesn't seem as happy as we might like it to be. Well, because this is planet Earth. And planet Earth has some really hard times with it. But did I tell you that my best friend's coming back one day? Did I, did I tell you that my best friend has promised relief? Relief from the hurts and the struggles and the fights and the pressures that you and I sit in? My best friend, he wants to know you. And if you don't know him in a way that has altered your life forever, if you just know him as a guy you read about in a book, or a guy you sang some songs about one time in a car, or a guy you listen to some other guy talk about a lot, but you don't know him in a way that's turned your life inside out. And you only know of my best friend. You don't know him. And so John looks at the Pharisees who knew everything about his best friend. He said He come, he came and he was present with you. And you didn't even know it was him. And then he looked at a group of people who looked like they didn't understand anything about him. But man, they were so drawn into him. He said, If you've given up and you've received him, he's yours forever. So, church, all I want to ask you this morning is before you come up here to taste some bread and juice, before you give your gifts and an offering plate and before we hang out in the Welcome Center, would you take a moment and just find yourself reminded of who my best friend is, of how much he loves you? And if you're like me and you're in a season where you say, man, I just, I ran away a little bit. I pushed back against. I rejected something of. Would you hear the invitation? Come back plenty of space. Come on back. And maybe there's an action step for you to come back. Come on up, Scott. Maybe there's an action step for you to come on back. Maybe that action step for you is is being able to take that first step to say, Lord, I'm just going to show up on Sunday. Maybe the action step is to say, you know what, I've been showing up on Sunday, but now it's time for me to really plant in, to to set myself down in. Maybe that's a, a small group or a Bible study or Maybe it's, it's getting on the version app and, and following along on a, on a reading plan. Maybe there's an action step for you. Maybe there's some brokenness in a relationship that you've been involved in for a while that, that you need to say, you know what, God, I surrender this over to you. I can't change it. I can't fix it. I'll apologize for what I've done, and I'm going to move on. I'm going to move forward in or out of that relationship, however that works out. But if there's an action step this week, would you take that next step? If the Lord speaks to you about some step to take, would you take that next step? And for those of us who have been walking with Jesus and we say, man, like, we're like a train track, man. We're just running in one direction, never off kilter, like we're good to go. That's awesome. Would you pray today that God would continue to draw you in that way, that he would hold you fast? that the the worries, the hurts, or the pressures of the world around you would not cause you to say, I reject, I dismiss, I forget. But if anything, would cause you to run further toward him. So you say, well, Pastor Ray, how do I make sure that these things happen in that direction? And And I say this to you. Jesus knew that people like you and I would sit here one day asking questions like that. Wondering. How do I know that he's still here and that he's still present, that he still cares? How do I know when I'm in my hurts and my pains that God hasn't given up? How do I know that when the hardship comes, that that there's still space for me in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a way to be reminded. A reminder that, that I'm present. A reminder that I'm real. A reminder that I love you. A reminder that my death did not defeat but my death defeated the weight of death itself. And that reminder is what we experience every time we come to the table. You see, this table is set for those who have said yes to Jesus. So if you if you placed your hope in Jesus Christ, if Jesus is the Savior of your life, you say, Jesus, I know that you're real. You've changed my forever. I'm yours. You're mine. If that's true for you, then this table is meant for you. When Jesus got together with his closest friends on the night before he was arrested, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, This is my body. It's going to be broken for you. For you. Broken for you. Receive that. The same way he took the cup and after blessing it, he said, This cup is the the promise, it's the new covenant, it's the seal. See, my blood will be shed so that it'll pay the price for death. Whenever we gather together, we remember that Jesus has come and he's done a great work. But beyond that, he's coming back again. The story is not over. You and I today, sitting here, play an active role in the hope and the promise of the good news of the gospel. So this morning I ask you one last time. Do you know my best friend? Do you know him in a way that has altered your forever? And if so, would you come down the center aisle in a minute and enjoy a meal with us? Take a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, and be reminded of the promises and the hope of the good news of the gospel. After you've done that, there's offering plates at either door and by the back exit. Please leave a gift this day as you are able. For those who do have dietary restrictions, we are gluten-free in the small dish and in the special cup. Just make sure you find yourself in those if that's your situation. As the elders come forward, I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for the chance to be at this table. We thank you for the promise, good news of the gospel. We thank you, God, that it's in you that we find hope. We thank you, God, that it's uh, that, that in that hope we know that you offer us life. And Jesus, maybe there's today who hasn't yet fully surrendered to you. And I hope that this morning they heard John's gospel talking about his best friend. Oh, that you've come, that you might be the light for the world. (laughs) And that your light has overcome the darkness. So God, nothing, nothing can put us so far away. Nothing can distance us so greatly that we don't find ourselves yielded before you and receiving the gift and the promise of new life. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I receive what you have. And Jesus, I fully yield to who you are and what you will do in my life. Jesus, we receive that today. We find ourselves reminded of that good news as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at RoxboroughChurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.